Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Merry Christmas and a warm welcome to this traditional Christmas Christian Church service for 2020. I'm Pastor Joseph Clark of the Christian Leaders Alliance. All denominations, all people, are welcome to worship this evening by way of this video from the comfort and safety of their own homes. This is a traditional, old-fashioned church service as I'm a traditional, old-fashioned minister of Jesus Christ. So let us worship in his holy name. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Please stand or kneel if you can for a moment and join me in our opening prayer. May the Lord be with your spirit and let us pray as we pray in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we choose to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in accordance with your Gospels. We choose to glorify you in the manner that God the Son taught and demonstrated for us. We embrace your plan for us and we trust you, Lord. We fall into the loving and reassuring arms of Jesus. Father, we know that nobody applauds louder than you when we succeed, when we are victorious. And we further know that nobody mourns harder than you do for us when we sin and when we fall short or experience suffering, evil, and discouragement. We offer ourselves up, Lord, to you and devote this time together in celebration of this time of year, which has been chosen to commemorate and celebrate the birth of your Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. The birth of you, God the Son, to defeat the enemy, to fulfill the law, and to unconditionally offer eternal salvation to each and every one of us. We pray in the holy, sacred, and blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art thou in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us sing, Hark the Herald's Angels Sing, as we worship in Jesus' name.
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, a church is a community of worshipers who are all disciples of Christ. As Christ commanded his disciples, Love one another as I have loved you. And as he answered the Pharisees, love thy neighbor as you love thyself. Please take a moment to acknowledge those in our lives, in our households, our families, our neighbors, and dare I say, even those who we are at odds with, and share that love and peace of Jesus Christ with them as we pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guideth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I shall walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you art thou with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and loving kindness and mercy shall follow me all the rest of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Christ Jesus we pray. Let us sing joy to the world as we continue our musical worship. Let us as a community in faith publicly announce and witness that faith. Lord our God, we firmly believe that you are one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that your divine Son became man, died for our sins, was resurrected from the dead, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sin, and life everlasting. 
We believe all of these truths which you revealed to us in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word. Let us witness to our faith. The response to the following questions are, Amen. Brothers and sisters, do you reject Satan and all of his evil works and accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior? Amen. Do you repent your sins and seek God's forgiveness? Amen. Do you endeavor to forgive all offenders in this life? Amen. Do you endeavor to sanctify yourself and leave no debts in this life? Amen. And do you accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him? Amen. Do you accept that there is salvation in no one else, that God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, but that of Jesus? Amen. And do you seek God's assistance, his guidance, his wisdom, and his grace? Amen. Please join me in singing Silent Night as we continue worshiping in the precious and blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Brothers and sisters, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to us as the perfect sacrifice so that our sins would be forgiven. Jesus enlightened us and died for us so that we can be forgiven. He taught tolerance, forgiveness, and non-judgment of one another. His good news is that we are saved by faith and His grace alone. If we believe that we are sinners, if we receive the living Christ, if we are vocal witnesses to Jesus Christ as disciples and evangelists. Brothers and sisters, as a man, I cannot forgive sin. But if we repent in our hearts by the will of God under the authority of Christ Jesus and only by his grace, are our sins forgiven. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches of your kindness, forbearance, and patience, knowing that your kindness has led us to repentance. We confess that we have not extended that same patience and kindness towards others at all times, towards others who have offended us. But instead, we have harbored bitterness and resentment. We are proud, Lord. That is one of our downfalls. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to help us, strengthen us in our efforts to forgive. We forgive all those who have offended us, Lord. Brothers and sisters, let us reflect on those whom we seek forgiveness from and those whom we forgive. Our prayer of assurance is in the form of the following gospel passages. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And Mark chapter 11 verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Praise to you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are all those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are all they who are persecuted in the name of Jesus Christ or for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we continue our worship as we sing, O come, all ye faithful.
Our Christmas reading will be from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, back to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, the reason that we're bouncing from one gospel to another and back again and then back again is that we will be reading chronologically about the birth of Jesus. So I will be identifying each gospel as we transition to it. Please join me as we spend time in the word. Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit anoint my words and speak through me for the benefit of your children. I unconditionally and gratefully dedicate myself to you. We open our hearts, ears, minds, and souls to your word. May our study of your word today be informative educational, inspiring, Lord, and move us to a faithful and devoted walk of faith. Lord, we invite you to speak to us through your holy word. In the blessed name of Jesus the Christ, amen. Six months after Elizabeth's, Mary, Mary's cousin's, miraculous pregnancy with the babe who we will come to know as John the Baptist, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells her that she is to become chosen for the prophesied virgin birth of the one and only Messiah. She is unnerved for a number of reasons. For one, she is only roughly 13 years of age, 
However, be mindful that in those days, the average lifespan of a man was roughly 35 to 40 years. 13-year-old girls were young women at that point and already knew how to fulfill the responsibilities of wife and mother. She is a virgin as she has yet to be married to Joseph to whom she has been pledged for marriage. A pledge was an engagement. So what does this mean to be pledged for marriage back in Christ's time? It means based on Hebrew tradition that a marriage contract has been drawn up and negotiated between the two families. And Joseph is most likely preparing rooms in his father's house to accommodate Joseph's wife and their potential children. It means that they do not see one another for a period as lengthy as one year, and that Joseph will send gifts periodically to Mary, engagement gifts, to remind her that he is pledged to her. This is all by Hebrew tradition. A virgin birth means that she will have much explaining to do to Joseph, to both of their households, and to the community, which at that time was a religious community governed by two authorities, the Roman civil authority and the Hebrew church law authority. By today's standards, that Hebrew community would have been considered a cult. For this 13-year-old young lady, she faced the possibility of losing her fiancé, public disgrace, and possible stoning to death by her fellowship, her community. But Mary, who no doubt is educated on the prophecies, is overjoyed. She recognizes what Gabriel is speaking about. She tells Gabriel that she is up to the task and honored to be selected. And she even sings a song to the Lord. What a beautiful reassurance in Gabriel's statement to her, for all of us, that, quote, no word from God will ever fail, unquote. A reminder to each and every one of us of how important it is to spend time daily in the Word of God, to know it, and to live it. For it informs us of both the rewards and repercussions of our choices in life. No word from God will ever fail. Now, the babe is to be named Jesus. And we refer to him as Jesus the Christ. The Bible, the word of God, refers to him as Jesus the Christ. And Jesus, as we speak it today, is actually the Greek translation of Yeshua, which is the word Joshua in Hebrew. Joshua was actually a fairly common name amongst the Hebrews. And why wouldn't it be? It's a beautiful name. God saves, or God's salvation. The word Christ means the anointed one, or anointed one. When Mary reveals to Joseph that she is pregnant, he understandably does not believe her story of a virgin birth and immaculate conception. Who would? It's too great and astounding to be true, and it's not something that anybody, humbly, would think that they would be selected to be part of. But rather than endanger her to the disgrace and possible punishments, he decides to quietly divorce her. For it would not be just Mary who faces disgrace, but her whole family. And Joseph wishes to spare all of them that humiliation and harm they're standing in the community. It's understandable why Joseph would not wish for himself and his family to be part of this controversy. Luke adds an important reference, as do Matthew, Mark, and John in their Gospels. And let's be ever mindful 
that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They're biographical. They sync up. They speak of the same ministry, the same life in Christ. Whereas John's gospel is anecdotal. Yes, it does present similar situations and individual situations that are independent of the other gospels, but it does so to submit the reasoning that Christ was God the Son, Christ was the Messiah, and that we are saved through Christ. Luke adds an important reference, pointing out the specific prophecies that are fulfilled throughout those great writings. Matthew, Mark, and John, they also point this out in their writings. But Luke points out all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a reference to Jesus Christ being God the Son, God coming in the flesh. God with us. Jesus, God the Son, he did not come to us as God imitating a man. He came to us as God taking the form of a man. He became a man fully committed to the sufferings that a man suffers. Mourning and crying, bleeding, pain, requiring his feet to be washed, needing food to live, etc., Mary and Joseph, Joseph humbly takes on the angel's command and he takes Mary as his wife. And he obviously takes very seriously the glory of God in his wife's womb as he restrains from consummating the marriage until after the babe is born. This tells us that there is no doubt in his mind that she carries the Messiah, the anointed one. We do not hear much about Joseph. He does not utter a word which is quoted in the Bible. We know that he is visited by an angel in his dreams roughly five times. We know from the Bible that he and Mary parented five sons, Jesus, James, Joses, Simon, and Jude, as well as two daughters who are referenced but not named. We know that Jesus is the oldest, as Mary was a virgin when she had him, and if Jesus had, if Joseph had had children for a, from a previous marriage, they would have traveled with them to Bethlehem for the census in a caravan. The other reason that we know that Jesus was the oldest is that he read from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, which would have been an honored bestowed upon the oldest child. And we know at the wedding at Cana, that when they run out of wine, Mary does not bring the problem to Joseph, a good indicator that he was not there, her husband, nor did she bring the problem to any of Jesus' brothers. She brought it to Jesus. It would have been the custom that once his father died, the oldest would take on many of the roles and responsibilities of the father to solve family problems and care for and provide for the family as they the oldest child becomes the highest male in the family hierarchy. Therefore, Mary brings the problem of the wine to Christ. We know that Joseph was alive when Jesus was 12 years of age, but there is no mention of him beyond that. An indicator that he died somewhere between Jesus when Jesus was 12 years of age and when he was 28 to 30 years of age when he began his three-year ministry. God chooses the shepherds to send his angels to announce Christ's birth. Shepherding was a humble job, a poor man's job, watching other people's flocks to protect them from predators and bandits. The last shall be first and the first shall be last, and the shepherds are given this honor. Throughout Christ's ministry, he references shepherds and flocks frequently, he refers to himself as, I am the good shepherd. He speaks 
of the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one missing sheep. It is also worth noting that God chose the patriarchs Abraham and Jacob, the 12 tribes, the prophet Moses, King David, and the Old Testament prophet Amos, who all were shepherds. And why not first alert the shepherds? For Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Magi, which literally means wise men, noble pilgrims from the east, which would have been a reference to most likely Persia, India, and Arabia, they come seeking the king of Jews. Therefore, they as noblemen go to the earthly residing king of the Jews, who is King Herod. King Herod was an interesting character. Incidentally, Herod's tomb was discovered by an archaeologist in 2007, roughly 12 kilometers south of Jerusalem. He was known as Herod the Great for constructing the second temple at Jerusalem. However, he was a ruthless man who dies a miserable death. Although he lived to an unusually old age of 69, he dies from kidney disease, urinary tract infection, and gangrene in his reproductive body parts. He had in his lifetime 10 wives that we know of and 14 children, again, which we know of. He was a cruel and treacherous ruler. He felt that if his throne was threatened by Jesus, being born king of the Jews, that he should have all of the boys, two years and younger, born in Bethlehem, slaughtered. And eventually, he even slaughters his own son. Always fearful that someone would rise up and overthrow his kingdom, he systematically killed off anyone he regarded as a threat. He murdered Joseph, the husband of his sister, Shalom. And then, Miriam's grandfather, Shalom reported that Miriam and her mother were plotting against him. And although he dearly loved Miriam, he had her and her mother executed. He murdered two of his sons by Miriam, Alexander and Aristobulus. Notice that he speaks to the Magi in private, asking them to return with news of the location of Jesus which they never do, for surely God would not let that happen. The Magi see Jesus' birth as a glorious event worthy of the travel and an experience of a lifetime. The Bible actually makes no mention of how many Magi visited. Tradition frames it as three, possibly because three gifts are listed. But there is no biblical reason to think it was three. It could have been a dozen. It could have been five. We don't know. They give the family gifts worthy of a king. The walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem would have been roughly 80 miles for Joseph and Mary. We don't know how far the Magi walked. They might have traveled in a caravan hundreds of miles, maybe further. Someone once said to me that as a minister of Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, that Christmas must be my Super Bowl Sunday. I told them, no, that's incorrect. That would be Easter Sunday. <laughs> However, Christmas for me personally is a second. We mustn't get caught up on the exact date of Christ's birth or the pagan holidays that resulted on our celebrating it on December 25th. For if we chastised every pagan-based tradition that influences what we do, dress, and say, both religious and secular, we would not be able to drive from here to the grocery store and back without pointing out several breaches. The fact is that we commemorate the birth of Christ on this day. All aspects of the story of Jesus' birth are based on obedience and faith, centered around the child, who was the Savior, our Savior, our Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, Paul writes, 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to tell you a story, and please bear with me. Once upon a time, there was a man, a very special man. He spent his days watching the ants in his backyard as they built ant hills and stored their food. They were industrious and productive. The man was a good man, and he took pity on the ants. He wanted to show them a better way. So he stood above the ants, and he preached to them, but they did not understand him. So he shouted to them, but still they did not understand him. So he sang to them, and still they yet did not understand him. He attempted to speak to them through sign language, and then failing that, he took a felt pen and paper, and he wrote messages to them in human language. But the ants, they just kept working away, marching in and out of their anthills. Now, ants are a very interesting insect. Their primary way of communicating is through sense of smell. They emit chemical signals to one another using pheromones, which communicate very specific messages to their fellow ants. They also communicate using sound by rubbing parts of their bodies together to create sound like a cricket does with its legs. Many people are unaware that ants are related to wasps. Some ants have wings, and these come from their ancient wasp ancestors. Now you're probably at this point saying, what does this have to do with Christmas? Once again, please indulge me. The man studied the ants and said to himself, I know what I will do. I will become an ant, and that way they will listen to me. So the man, who was a very special man, became an ant, and he went to the ants and communicated with them in a manner that only the ants could understand. So why did God come to us in the form of a man? Why not descend onto the earth in a glorious golden chariot with shock and awe impressing everyone? Why not come to us surfing on a bolt of lightning or some other manner of arrival that all beheld and would say, look at his power and strength? The first mistake is to try to psychoanalyze God. We as human beings can only relate to things on very limited human terms, not godly terms. Secondly, as we are to God, ants are to us. In fact, we are most likely much closer to ants than a man can compare to God. We were made in his image, yes, but we are giving ourselves too much credit to compare ourselves to God as to compare ants to us. The only way that an ant could relate to us is if we appeared to them as ants. Ants cannot possibly understand humans' thinking, human expression, or human language. If we were to appear as ants, we would have to do so as an ant in order to be understood. The same goes for God. He came to us as a man so that he could communicate to us in a manner that we could relate to. Why appear to us in the form that Christ did? Every good virtue starts with God. Humility, modesty, grace, fortitude, temperance, and much, much more. God could have appeared to us in any form he chose. The Holy Spirit tells us in the word, John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 7, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ came to us as a man, divine, but a man. His existence was miraculous. It was beyond miraculous. His presence and ministry violated the laws of probabilities and the laws of nature. Despite being flesh and blood, he was sinless. He suffered emotionally and physically as we all do. He bled, as I mentioned earlier. His feet required cleaning just as ours does. He spoke to us in terms that we could comprehend and relate to. And he did not just speak to us, but he connected with us demonstrably. He walked out and demonstrated what is expected of us and what he is. His ways are in no way sinful in nature. His ways were not violent or oppressive, despite the fact that he was authoritative. He came in the form of a man, but he was not just a man. He was the Christ. Tim Keller wrote, Christ literally walked in our shoes. Mother Teresa wrote, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. David Jeremiah wrote, only by being both deity and humanity could Jesus Christ bridge the gap between where God is. William Dembski wrote, In God becoming human in Jesus Christ, God has established solidarity with the human condition. And Oswald Chambers wrote, There's only one being who can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus came to us in a form that was more than a man, we would not be able to relate to him. He would not have been able to die for us as a man. Everything that we ever suffer through in life, he has suffered more for us. He was persecuted for us and he remains persecuted to this day. Any Christian knows that persecution. His ministry and preaching continues to this day. Believers know how it feels to be moved by the word and move others by evangelizing and preaching. His power is alive in us and it confronts those who are in need of him and his presence in us compels people today as it did when he walked with his disciples and to this very day, as in his day, people still confess. We witness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all other religious figures are dead. Jesus is the living Christ. He was both divine and man. No other religious figure performed miracles and fulfilled prophecies in front of so many verifiable witnesses. No other prophet or religious figure had power over nature as Christ did. He connected with us as a man while he spoke with the authority of God. Jesus is unique from any other religious figure ever because he is the living Christ, God the Son, the one and only God. We are saved by faith alone, grace alone, by Christ alone. We are saved from sin and eternal torment if we choose to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in accordance with the Gospels. This is is the good news of the Lord. Praise be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, you are the merciful creator and one true God. We thank you, Lord, for sending us your only begotten Son. We celebrate and glorify you, Lord. Praise, honor, glory, and yours forever, Almighty Father. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, continue to guide us in our walk as we endeavor to be as Christ-like as is humanly possible, as your disciples, as your evangelists. Enable us to continue to keep our minds on honorable, righteous, and worthy things as we preoccupy ourselves 
with heaven above as opposed to being preoccupied with this earth, this suffering earth below. Happy birthday, Lord. Merry Christmas, Lord. We pray for those who experience lack and loss, not just tonight, but all nights of the year, all days of the year, Lord. You know their needs, Lord, better than we could ever articulate, and we pray for them. Bless this day and all people who struggle. Praise to you, God, the Father. Praise to you, Jesus Christ, God, the Son. And praise to you, the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. We pray in the most sacred and holy name of our blessed Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas service has ended. Let us go from this place proclaiming that we have seen the glory of God, believing in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the love of the Creator, the joy of the Spirit, and the peace of Jesus Christ be with you and yours this Christmas and evermore. In the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Please join me in our closing worship hymn, The First Noel.
Merry Christmas, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining me this evening. Go in peace. Safe travels to you and yours, and God bless you.